0: Thank you. Thank you to the Ripon Society for the opportunity to be here this morning. And I uh, come from a little town on the eastern plains of Colorado called Yuma. I'm sure all of you know where that is. Uh, if you're ever through Colorado, it's the place that goes by on the bottom of the television screen, hailstorm coming, take cover. <laughs> but it's, it's also the part of eastern Colorado that uh, you know most people associate Colorado with mountains, although I do have Rocky Mountain National Park in the district. The vast majority of the district is the High Plains of Colorado. I just want to share some of the experiences that my district has had over the past several years when it comes to energy development. Colorado is truly an incredible energy rich state. When we talk about the need for and all of the above energy policy, when we talk about the need to have an abundant affordable energy policy that really runs and drives our economy, there's really no place better to look at than the 4th Congressional District of Colorado. This is an area that has seen tremendous development in recent years in oil and natural gas. In fact, uh, one county in northern Colorado called Wells County is one of the only counties in the nation with zero bonded indebtedness. There are 31 operating oil and gas companies in that county alone. Two of them paid their 2011 property taxes two weeks ago, $109 million dollars. Now, one company in this check was $52 million. One company in check was $57 million. Talk about incredible opportunities for school districts, for hospital districts, for local communities uh, as those developments occur in the jobs that they bring. This is a district that has wind blade manufacturing, it has nacelle manufacturers, Vestas Energy, 2,000 employees in the district, it has solar manufacturing, it has biofuel, it has three or four biofuel plants throughout the district. And the new fourth congressional district, after redistricting, will even have a coal-fired power plant, uh, excuse me, it has coal-fired power plants, but it also will have a coal mine in the district as well. Uh, and the district is, is uh, an incredible hotbed for energy activity. But if we're going to keep it that way, then we have to make sure that Washington doesn't do what it seems to do best these days. That's getting in the way. I ran for Congress because I believed we needed to get government out of the way and let America work. And if we're going to get back to this notion of an energy policy that is abundant and affordable, then we have to do that again to get government out of the way so that we can let you do what you do best, and that's run your businesses the way that you know how. And so if you take the EPA's own words, if you take the President's own words, and I think we should, you know exactly what's happening to our energy industry today. During his campaign, the President said that he believed energy costs would necessarily skyrocket under his plan. Secretary Chu has said that he would like to see energy prices rise to the level of those in Europe. We saw comments made during the campaign by by Joe Biden, Senator Biden, about his beliefs and thoughts when it came to coal. And so if you take them at their word, then you can see a direct link to the policies that they are creating. Utility maps. Under the EPA's own analysis, Utility Mac would cost $9.6 billion. That's their own analysis, the most expensive regulation ever before. If you listen to the other rules and regulations being promulgated, attempts to regulate greenhouse gas, boiler max regulations, coal ash regulations, all of which we know from their own testimony, would increase the cost of electricity and energy. We had Assistant uh, Administrator Gina McCarthy before our committee just a couple of weeks ago, Assistant Administrator of the EPA, Gina McCarthy, just a couple of weeks ago. And I asked her a very simple question, are energy costs going to increase under this plan? And she said, yes, but I don't live in the energy world. Now here is an agency (laughs) that is living in the energy world and then denying that they're doing so. It's pretty incredible to see the impact that their policies are having on the cost of doing business in this country. And energy isn't just a cost borne by uh, by just a few. It's a cost that's borne by every single one of us, from the poorest to the wealthiest, to power our homes, to power our businesses, and to make our lives better. But what are we doing about it? I think that's the most exciting thing. Uh, when we come back, and re- to, yesterday we actually introduced a bill, the, the uh, Developing Energy and Jobs Act, uh, that is a combination of about seven uh, pieces of legislation that will dramatically increase domestic energy production. Uh, I have one title in the bill. I'll be carrying the the bill, the package. But one of the bills is the Strategic Energy Production Act. It says simply this. If the President believes we're in an emergency situation that is dire enough that it requires accessing the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, then we need a long-term policy solution as well. And so if you draw down the reserve by 5%, then it requires an increase in permitting on federal lands by 5% as well. A plan to increase permitting on federal lands by 5% moving from a quick fix political decision to a long-term policy solution. Uh, other bills, other legislation, Chairman Whitfield, uh, it's an honor to serve with him uh, on his committee. Uh, will actually uh, have a bill in the, in the package as well, dealing with the gas regulations, and I'm sure he'll talk more about that. But the bottom line is, we have an opportunity to increase domestic energy production. We've seen it in wind, we've seen it in, in oil, we've seen it in natural gas the technologies that we can drive, the solutions that we can bring. But the problem we face is whether or not our government, the regulatory environment that we face, will allow that innovation to continue. If you look at the success that has taken place in natural gas, 10, 15, 20 years ago, nobody knew the resource that we have domestically. Nobody knew the size of what we could accomplish. But unfortunately, because of that success, we've seen a lot of attacks on it as well. And so we have to make sure that we're doing everything we can to provide our country with the policy we need to drive jobs, to power our economy. And there's really no better industry suited to power our economy like the energy industry. And so as we look for other ways to rein in regulations, as we look for other ways to promote uh, and increase domestic energy production, uh, I'm sure that uh, we look forward to fighting and standing with every single one of you as we do our best to provide this country with the secure energy that we need. Uh, So with that, I'd I'd be happy to uh, to answer any questions. I know we're gonna do that later. I hope Jim, where'd Jim go? We're asking if we have time for questions (laughs) later. Very good, but I do want to thank Chairman Whitfield for his service as chairman of the subcommittee. Uh, Thanks for putting putting me on your subcommittee. It's been an honor to serve, and certainly with John Sullivan. My district is 32,000 square miles. It borders Oklahoma. It's bigger than the state of South Carolina, and whenever I say that, inevitably somebody like Cynthia Lummis comes up to me and says, well, yeah, my district's as big as Wyoming.
1: (laughs) Thank you, Corey. Great job, and Corey's doing an excellent job on the Energy and Commerce Committee. Thanks for all your work, hard work, and uh, he's a rising star, doing a great job on the committee. And it is an honor to be vice chair under uh, Ed Whitfield. Uh, Ed's a great chairman of this great committee in Congress. And uh, I've learned a lot from Ed, and uh, thank you, Ed, for your leadership and all you do. And we on the Energy and Commerce Committee are on the front line of defense against this radical Obama agenda. Us Republicans now, we control one half of one third of the government. And um, a lot of the major legislation from health care to energy policy is coming through this committee. We're ground zero. Against this administration, and you look at our energy policy in this country, we don't have one. We need to have an energy policy in this country. Now, I, my mom, uh, I talk to her about every night. Pretty close. To her. My dad died when I was young, so I'm pretty close to my mother. And I call her and I tell her what I'm working on in Washington. And she asks me, and I, I'll tell her about the Energy and Commerce Committee and what we're working on. She doesn't really understand what I'm talking about, but. Uh, I'll tell her some of the things we're working on, and, she, and I say, yeah, we need to lessen our dependence on oil and oil and all that. She said, we're doing all these bills with natural gas or oil or coal, and she says, nothing's going to happen. I said, why do you say that, Mom? That hurts my feelings. <laughs> you got no faith in your son? And she said, John, they've been talking about that for 40 years, and nothing's ever happened. You know what? My mom's right. My mom's right. We need to have something happen in an energy policy in this country, and we don't have it. Right now we're sending over a billion dollars every single day to foreign countries to buy foreign oil. And a lot of those countries, OPEC countries, they hate our guts. In some instances we're funding the war against ourselves. And we're subsidizing other economies and other nations. And it's not right. It's a national security issue. That in and of itself should motivate us to take action, but it doesn't. We have our Navy escorting tankers in the Strait of Hormuz that cost billions of dollars a year additionally in the cost. We have an abundance of natural resources here in the United States that God has given us under our feet that we're not utilizing to its full potential. We have over 120 years, like Corey was talking about, of natural gas here in the United States, and we need to utilize it. We have a lot on public lands, too, that Obama's holding the key won't unlock that for us. And as you see with the Bakken and other plays around the country, uh, there are a lot, there's a lot of potential for oil, billions and billions of barrels of oil. And we need to utilize that. We use about 20 million barrels of oil a day. We're importing about 12 million barrels of oil a day. And a lot of that's refined into transportation fuel. So it's very important that we explore and we succeed in getting more trucks, buses, fleets, <coughs> cars, Running on natural <laughs> gas, and we can do that through many ways. One of the most important ways, like Corey was addressing, is the regulatory burden for that to occur. If, if Bud and I were going to start a company uh, to convert vehicles to natural gas, we could do that. Might be a good business to get into, but through the regulatory burden and the things you have to do to. Be certified on a per vehicle basis. It's not just to get the open business and start converting vehicles. If we want to do F 250 trucks, we have to be certified on F 250 trucks. And it could cost us about $150,000 to go through that regulatory process to start converting vehicles. That's too expensive for us to get into that. We need to lessen those burdens. We need to help the manufacturers in some way produce vehicles that run on natural gas. Right now, they Develop they manufactured cars and trucks that uh, run on natural gas for sale in Europe, Asia, Latin America. In Europe, Asia, Latin America, they have 15 million natural gas vehicles. Here in the United States, we have 130,000. We have a lot of catching up to do, and that's something we can do. To to, one of the things we can do in all of the above strategy to lessen our dependence on foreign oil, but also this helps create jobs in America. If we, had, if we started this in, in, in a, a robust way, we'd have to build infrastructure through the major traffic lanes, east and west, north and south, and it'd be like a mini industrial revolution in our country. It would create over hundreds of thousands of private sector jobs without one penny in the federal government. We also need to look at a way in this country that we can become energy self-sufficient. Totally, I mean, not totally independent, because we never will be, we have to be honest about that. We're always going to need oil from somewhere else. We could reduce it greatly and become energy self-sufficient if we look at our energy policy in this country. And we look at where we need to fix things, and one is our refining capacity in this country. We need to expand it. Because of the regulatory burden in this country, we haven't built a new refinery in 30 years. 40 years. Sorry. 40 years. <laughs> haven't expanded an existing one. And One of the things the president came to Oklahoma to do, he said, you know what? He had that little energy to it around the country. Well, he stopped in Cushing, Oklahoma. It's a major pipeline intersection of the country. Big, a lot of storage there. And he stood there in Oklahoma in front of about 30 people. He wouldn't (laughs) let anybody in, because he knew that that's not a good state for him. (laughs) And he said, I, through executive order, want to expedite the southern part of the Keystone Pipeline. Well, Mr. President, it's going to happen in spite of you. We don't need your help. It's going to happen because of the free enterprise system and states and and, uh, fish and wildlife. It's already done. But this president, who held himself out like that, who hates this industry, wants to kill it, two weeks before was lobbying the Senate and on that transportation bill to not allow an amendment on the northern part of the Keystone Pipeline, the one that means something, that does something for this country. And we need to, with the Bakken up there, with all that oil, we must have that pipeline infrastructure to bring that oil and crude down to our refining systems so we can refine it. And that oil is great. And get it down to Cushing and around our whole country. So we need to look at our refining capacity. We need to look at natural gas vehicles. We need to look at an all of the above strategy where we use coal, we use oil, we use natural gas. Yes, we do need to look at alternative energy sources too. But right now, you know, let's face it, wind and solar aren't base load. It's not there yet. Maybe someday that it will be, but we have everyone going around the country like Paris Hilton I saw her the other day and said, let's go green, man. On her t shirt. I don't even know if no, she knows what that means. <laughs> and then, we, then we have Rob Lowe come up here and tell us about plug in hybrids and stuff like that. I'll try to act. I mean, hell, I, I don't know why he's <laughs> but, but, I mean, these people think that this is free or something. I have people come up to me and say, Let's, why don't we use wind and solar? Hell, it's free. I'm like, no, it's not. very expensive, very expensive. But you know, someday we can get there. It's not to say that we shouldn't, you know, research and develop that and look at it and let the free enterprise do that and work on it. Someday it may be viable. But you know what? We can't shoot the horse we're on now until we have one to get on. You know, coal is a cheap energy source. It's abundant. It's always going to be there. It's not going to leave. We need it. This country, this economy, runs on cheap energy. That's, that's what so that gives us a competitive advantage. You know, a lot of coal and even natural gas companies are saying, heck, I'm gonna export my product. Well, I don't blame them. If our government won't let them use it here, they should be able to export it. Because you know, China is scouring the world for resources right now. And how idiotic would that be to not use our own resources here? Where are we a third world country? We don't want to do that. So we need to work on an energy policy that helps us be self-sufficient, look at the regulatory burden. You know, one of the biggest things I hear when I go around the country or in my state is they say, hey man, what are you gonna do to be a politician to create jobs in America? And I always tell them, nothing. I'm not gonna do a damn thing to create jobs in America. But what we can do is get the hell out of the way here in Washington. And that's what's happening, this regulatory, but the capital, there's a lot of money out there Debt financing's cheap, uh, private equity is abundant, that money's out there, but that capital, it's a coward. It goes to the easiest path, not the most resistant path. And if we can lessen some of these burdensome government regulations, like uh, Cory was talking about, Utility MAC, the EPA stuff, that would go a long way in getting people back to work. Streamlining the permitting process on the, in the Gulf, you know, making sure that permatorium gets lifted. For, you know, oil production in the Gulf, which we get about 30% of our oil, give or take, from the outer continental shelf in deep water, uh, is down. Oil, 14%. Gas, 14%. I mean, that's not not good. And when one of those rigs, leaves out there, it takes a lot of jobs with it. We can't snap our fingers on the Gas prices spike back up and bring them back in immediately <clears throat> or out on the coast of Africa or somewhere. So we need to do all we can. We need to treat energy policy like a Manhattan Project. We need to make sure we solve it, that we become energy self-sufficient by the year 2020, and we can do that if we come together with a comprehensive plan to get it done. And with that, I'll stop talking. Uh, Thank you very much. You
2: You know, A couple weeks ago I was down in Henderson, Kentucky in my district and I went to an elementary school and we actually had a little press conference there that they wanted to imitate, like, meet the press. And uh, one of the very first questions that was asked was, uh, these were sixth graders, by the way, and uh, this this young lady stood up and she said, I'd like to know how much money lobbyists give you. as I thought about that question. I, I'm, I'm really <coughs> delighted to be here today because we have so many lobbyists here. <laughs> and, uh, I want to. And by the way, uh, after she asked me that question, I asked them how many of you want to be lobbyists, and no one raised their hand. <laughs> so uh, I'm delighted to be here at the Ripon, Society. <laughs> and I'm delighted that Jim Councilman and the board have done such a great job of. Uh, of uh, Revitalizing Ripon society, and through the years, it's contributed in so many ways. And uh, I really want to thank all of you for contributions that you make, uh, financially as well as others. And uh, you know, I think John Sullivan did a great job of providing a metaphor for our energy policy, and that is, don't shoot the horse you're on until you have another horse to ride. i have never really heard that before, John. That was good. <laughs> and being with Corey Gardner, I say he's really brought some enthusiasm to our uh, committee, full committee as well as subcommittee, because he's a very articulate fellow and certainly understands energy, and uh, we have a great team over at Energy and Commerce, and uh, Bud, you would like to be back there right now. If I would. We're passing a lot of legislation and uh, uh, trying to slow down EPA in many ways, but as you know, uh, we don't have a lot of success on, on the United States Senate side. So, as we approach this election uh, in November, I think the responsibility we have right now, in addition to continue to pass legislation and uh, primarily to set up a contrast uh, between uh, our policies that we're advocating and the policies that the President (laughs) is obviously advocating. I think that in Kentucky, by the way, we had our primary a couple weeks ago And uh, on the Democratic primary, you either have a choice of voting for Barack Obama for president, or uncommitted. And we have 120 counties in Kentucky, and the uncommitted won 68 of them. So, I don't think there's any chance that Barack Obama's going to win the state of of Kentucky. But the sad thing about it is, and the reason I believe that he's in serious trouble around the country, is that he really squandered a great opportunity. And I think it all started when Ron Emanuel, if you'll remember, right after the election, made the comment that uh, it's a shame to let a crisis go to waste. And he was talking about the recession and the slow economy and how they were gonna use that to pursue their political goals, which I think they viewed as more important than really stimulating the economy. And in a nutshell, what they ended up doing was they uh, took these stimulus funds, and as you know, our federal debt in, has increased $5 trillion uh, in the short period of time that Barack Obama's been president. But they took that stimulus fund, and they used it as a slush fund in many ways because they funneled money primarily in the green energy project. Now, as John has said and Corey has said, we all recognize that green energy has a role to play. But to use that amount of money for uh, projects like Solyndra and uh, Fisker Automotive and Tesla Automotive, uh, even even if if those cars are produced, and some of them are, the price tag is $200,000 This president, who claims to be for the average American, I don't think he's showing a lot of concern for the average American funneling money the way he's been funneling it. And uh, for him to claim that uh, his administration is going to be revolutionary and more ethical than any administration in recent memory, and then to funnel $538 million to Solyndra, uh, which is by George Kaiser, who's in Oklahoma, one of the wealthiest men in America, who's bundling money for the president. And then his lawyers, and the lawyers for Solyndra meet with lawyers for the Department of Energy, and the White House, and in setting that deal up, make certain that if they do go bankrupt, that their venture capitalists, their private investors will get their money back first, even before the taxpayers get their money back. So, this president talks a good game. And he frequently says one thing, and his administration does the other. And the reason we get so exercised about it, because if we are going to create a strong economy in America again, which we know we can do, energy is going to play a vital role in that. And many of you, I'm sure, read where Harold Hamm, uh, who basically developed the Bakken Field, talked about going to the White House and how he had never met President Obama. He was looking forward to going down to the White House and talking to him. And, And he said that he did meet with him, and he explained how the Bakken Field area, unemployment rate was around 3%, all the jobs that were being created, In fact, they couldn't find enough qualified people to work up there. All the oil was being produced, and that if the president would just spend as a, a token amount of time and energy and money on developing our own natural resources, fossil fuels being one of them, just a just a portion of that amount of money and stimulation that he's done for green energy that we could dramatically lower unemployment rates around the country and be less dependent on foreign oil and other sources and he said the president looked at him and said well uh, we know that we're going to have to have fossil fuel for a few years but after that we've got to go green energy well i think that demonstrates how really out of touch he is because we know that the base load is going to have to be dependent upon our Uh, fossil fuels and uh, we are developing technology and we do have opportunities to explore other energy sources and we should and uh, but this president and yesterday we had a hearing for example and uh, we were talking these people all worked in region 6 of the EPA and Mr. the decided not to come to attend that hearing, even though he said he would, but it was really kind of sad to see every witness that had worked with Region 6, EPA, said there's a strong bias against fossil fuels. There's a lack of collaboration with the Entities that are trying to produce energy in America. There's little regard for scientific evidence. And we feel like we're dealing with a government that is an adversary to what we're trying to do, instead of reaching out with a helping hand to try to solve these problems together. And so, The American taxpayers out there working hard every day, and uh, we all go home to our districts, and we talk to people who don't have jobs, we talk to people who want to invest money, we talk to people who want certainty in regulations and economic policy, and they really feel adrift right now. And they feel like this government is working against them as much as it is trying to help them for the simple purpose that this government is pursuing uh, its own political goals more than really trying to stimulate the economy uh, because (coughs) we have a great opportunity to do it and I think it's been squandered in a way. Uh, If we had to spend more of that money on infrastructure projects, we we have great infrastructure needs in our country today. In fact, in my district alone (coughs) though, lost uh, one of the bridges over one of our major highways down there, 6880, about four months ago. Uh, It was a bridge that was built about 70 years ago. And uh, it's just a shame that more of that stimulus money didn't go for infrastructure products, really shovel-ready projects, which uh, it was sold to the American people that it usually shovel ready projects. And uh, that's another thing that has been really disappointing to me, is just... I think the American people, when Barack Obama came to the presidency, genuinely felt this is a real opportunity for America. He is so charismatic, and he is such a great speaker. And I'll never forget one day I was in the airport, even before he announced to run for president, and I really didn't even know who he was, but I was at one gate ready to go to Nashville, Tennessee, and the next gate there was a plane going to Chicago, and this guy walked in, and all of a sudden everybody over there stood up and started applauding and whistling and yelling, Barack Obama, Barack Obama. And he hadn't even announced for president and he hadn't been in the Senate long. But there was that hope that, that maybe this could be something different. And yet it came home very clear to me, and I all of us could give other examples, but on the utility map, which is the most expensive, will be the most expensive regulation ever implemented at EPA. And when they came up, when the President talked about it, when his administration talked about it, when Lisa Jackson talked about it, all of them said that this is necessary because we're going to have so many great benefits because of the reduction of mercury emissions. And they every time they talked about it, it was about reducing mercury emissions. And yet, when we talked to the witnesses, when we really got down and looked at the, uh, the analysis of EPA's own reports, and they finally acknowledged themselves that there was no benefit from mercury. All of the benefits, about 99.9% of the benefits came from further reduction of particulate matter, which is already regulated under another part of the Clean Air Act. So this President and this administration in many ways have been misleading the American people. And uh, while I don't think any of us started this Congress wanting to be an adversary, in fact, I think we have responsibility and obligation to work together to solve the many problems facing our country. And we've done everything that we can do. We've passed legislation to uh, make it easier to invest and develop our natural resources. We've passed legislation to try to slow down the pl- plethora of regulations coming out of EPA to uh, analyze and view the cost of these things, the impact of them, before we move forward. Uh, So I think we've done everything that we can do, and now we've got an election coming up and we're going to do everything we can do to be out there in our districts and in our states every day trying to set up the contrast between this administration and what we think the next one can be. So thank you all very much for giving us the opportunity to be here today. We We enjoy working with all
1: of you, and we look forward to working with you as we move forward. Thanks very much.